Well, as I scan the uh, congregation, I don't want to overlook anybody. I'm looking for a tie. Oh, right there. Thank you. I've got her attention. Y'all missed that. <laughs> I want to make sure I had your attention here. How's this thing come up? I'm too short. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. It's always a joy to be able to go into a church and sense the spirit and the activity of the church. I don't know who the young girls were seated right here. They belong to you guys. It was a joy listening to them sing sitting behind me. I appreciate them being a part of worship and the number of kids that you have and the focus that you have on children. But uh, I'm always looking to see how children respond. I was in church uh, from my second Sunday alive. Now, the reason I was not in church my first Sunday alive is because they kept the mothers in the hospital a lot longer back in those years. But my first Sunday out of the hospital, I was in church. And I praised God for Sunday school, the children's ministries. Uh, I made a confession of faith at the age of 11. I sensed God's call to preach at the age of 14. And with God's blessing and help, I've been doing it since then. I love children's ministry. I love young people and youth ministry. And uh, two, three weeks ago, about four weeks ago now, I was back in southern Ohio for my 50th high school reunion. And we've lost 31 in death in that 50-year period out of a class of 246. And I was privileged to give a devotional of uh, reminding people how brief life is uh, at that time. And the class, uh, the respect that they've shown over the years, and uh, there's two of us that I know of that came out of that class uh, that are in ministry uh, today. The other one took early retirement, so he's not pastoring now. But uh, it's just been a joy to see the churches in our uh, group emphasize the children as they have uh, grown up under the leadership of the Lord. So I want to commend you for that and thank you for that kind of emphasis. And I want to thank you for the intergenerational dynamic of this congregation. There have been churches, and not as a fault to them, but there have been churches that I go to when they dismiss for children's church there's a huge gap uh, in the congregation. I mean, there's only one-third or uh, even one-fourth of the congregation left uh, in the sanctuary when the children are dismissed to Children's Church. That's good because they're focusing on the next generation as well. But what a joy it is to be able to come and share with you and see the intergenerational ministries that take place and the activities that are here. We do appreciate your, your time, your ministry, your efforts, uh, and as Brother James has said, he's been on the kind of the front row and has been an encourager throughout that time. He was raised well, having been a product of a district superintendent's home. He understands some of the challenges that are there, so I've been very grateful that he's been willing to uh, invest in me and to share with our district as we have journeyed over these last 13 years uh, in this assignment. And I know that Pastor has been in the book of Mark, and uh, he gave me an opportunity uh, to preach from the next section of the scripture that he would be in, which would be Mark chapters 9 and 10, and I appreciated hearing in the brief comments before that you're up to date, you're reading that, God's speaking to you about that. But uh, having given me freedom to preach on that, or anything that I sense the Lord leading me to say, I've sensed the Lord's direction today 
to share with you what's burning on my heart and show you how it ties in to 9 and 10. Now, it's not going to be the way he would present it. I recognize that, and I'm thankful that we're different because he may still want to go back and preach and give you 9 and 10 later on, but I appreciate the series. When I was pastoring, God led me to do a lot of series preaching. Uh, I did Milk of the Word on Sunday morning, I did Meat of the Word on Sunday night, and on Wednesday night I did verse-by-verse Bible study as we would work through our congregation. But I did a lot of line-on-line, precept-on-precept, teaching the Word of God. I was known more as a teaching pastor than I was a proclamation type of uh, pastor, and I, I, I know that that builds strong churches and strong disciples as we do that, so I commend the series. And as you go through Scripture, it, you can hit whatever topic that Scripture talks about without it looking like you're picking on your favorite, but at the same time, it protects you from picking on your favorite. Uh, I, I've had some churches where all they're hearing is this kind of a message, and, and that pastor, I discover in looking, is not preaching through Scripture. He's looking at the circumstances. He's looking at the news. He's trying to see what's happening. And whatever seems to be the itch that people are feeling, he'll preach to that. Uh, not all bad in doing that, but sometimes we miss what the Lord's trying to say in that process. And we miss the foundation of Scripture that's so important for us in our maturing spiritual life in a very unspiritual world where we live out our lives. So I want to share with you as we begin this message today a couple of passages that I have been just, well, it's not because of the season of Halloween, but these scriptures have been haunting me. They, they really have been weighing on my heart and on my mind for the last several months, really. So it's not just because, you know, what this next week is going to do. I, I want to share those with you. The first passage is at the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew 5 to 7. Just before his concluding illustration of the houses built on the rock and on the sand, he shared some very sobering words. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, here's what we read. Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. That's sobering. And I can tell by the quietness. You don't just quickly amen something like that. Here are people who have done what they thought was all the right things. Doing church as they thought it was supposed to be done. Doing everything that they thought would be what would transform people's lives. And would come to the end and even use that as a justification 
Lord, did we not in your name perform miracles? Did we not in your name cast out demons? Did we not in your name prophesy? And he'll say, I never knew you. It's not that I once knew you and you walked away. It's not that at one time we were walking side by side and you kind of drifted cool and cold and quit listening to me. He said, I never knew you. That to me is a very haunting scripture. The second scripture passage is in Mark 8, which has already gone through, and whether he focused on this or how he focused on this, I don't know. And it's also recorded in Matthew 16. But Mark 8, 27 and following focuses and involves the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Peter gave this tremendous acclamation. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the Matthew account, Jesus said to him, Man did not tell you that. Only God in heaven said that to you. And both in the Matthew account and in the Mark account, Jesus immediately shifted the conversation and saying, it's now time for me to go to Jerusalem. And they're going to kill me. And the scripture says that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. In fact, it says in 831, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed <clears throat> and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The Matthew account even says that Peter addressed him as Lord. Lord, that will never happen to you. When's the last time you tried to counter something that Jesus said and still refer to him as Lord? That's word only, folk. That's not talking about the relationship between you and God. When you're going to rebut what Jesus says to you, he is not Lord, no matter what terminology you use. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of God of men. That haunts me. In my assignment as district superintendent, being involved with over a hundred ministries on our district and being involved in other ministry uh, investments throughout the world in the Church of the Nazarene, how much of what we do is man's way of thinking? How much of what we do is what we think the best strategies are, the best ways to go about doing what we think ought to be done. Or how much are we really saying, we better wait on the Lord? What's God saying? That's why I appreciate our emphasis on Scripture reading. 
we, we can't get it out if we don't get it in. Jesus said in his great discourse before his leaving this earthly ministry, he said, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will call to your remembrance, or he will remind you of everything that I've taught you. Even the Holy Spirit can't remind what hasn't been minded already. Okay? How much do we have in mind the things of God and not just the things of men? So how do we avoid being in either of these two categories? One who thinks he is on the right track, but in reality isn't. Or one who thinks and operates only as mere man, rather than thinking and operating like God. That's what's been burning on my heart. And I've been seeking God to say, this is not a message that I'm to preach until I've first listened. How much of what I'm doing is out of my energy? One of the greatest needs of all of us, I think, but especially of a district superintendent, is to try to find out what God's doing and then cooperate with Him. There's three areas that I've always requested prayer for, and they stay fresh in my heart and mind, and I share them and ask you as the Holy Spirit brings me to your mind to breathe these prayers. I pray for wisdom. That's come up already in this service today. I pray for wisdom to understand what's going on. I, I pray for discernment. How, how do I apply this wisdom that you've given me? And then thirdly, I pray for courage to apply what God has given me. Those have been my standing prayers and prayer requests throughout this time. And as that has burned on my heart and knowing where God has you in the Word, that also brings me into Mark 9 and 10. Now, I know I won't cover these two chapters like your pastor would, but I think as we can gain some insights into this burning issue, it'll help us. Mark 9 opens with the account of the transfiguration of Christ on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Beginning with verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, <clears throat> and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. You'll recall a, a similar situation at Jesus' baptism. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, it says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven came, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And then... He has that affirmation at the beginning of his ministry, God is pleased 
with him. Wow. Isn't that a great affirmation? God is pleased with me. But then as he nears the end of his earthly ministry, we have God's second affirmation of Jesus. But this time, God makes a powerful statement. Listen to him. Listen to him. The word listen in the original language here doesn't mean just hear. It means to act on what you've heard. You haven't really listened if it hasn't affected your behavior. Simple illustration. A mother or a dad trying to get a child to do something. You've made your statement, but then you say, do you hear me? They're not deaf. Sure, they heard you. But that's not what you're asking. You're asking, is it going to change your behavior? Is it going to do something different in your life? And so what I get at this chapter and this stage in these burning questions and burning concerns that I have is this phrase, listen to Him. That's the key phrase for us to avoid becoming those descriptions that we talked about. By listening diligently to God, we'll not be deceived. By listening diligently to God, we'll not have in mind only the things of mere men. So how do we listen to Him? How, how do we find God? Where do we find God? Well, we know from the Old Testament that Elijah discovered where God wasn't before he discovered where God was. In 1 Kings 19, 11, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. If you've heard the news this morning, a 3.9 hit Newhall this morning. We've got a tremendous nor'eastern coming into the Atlantic today. You know, a lot of things are happening. The truce in Syria fell apart. Our entire Middle East is a, is a powder keg. In about 10 days, we make some decisions that will impact the next four years as a nation. God, what in the world are you saying? Help us to hear you. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. You know, wind, earthquake, and fire are what we call spectacular events. And oftentimes that's what we look for in living out our life for Christ. We want the spectacular. And it's the spectacular, whether it's on TV or on radio or in some of our large churches, it's the spectacular that's drawing crowds. Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not do miracles? Did we not cast out demons? The Lord does all of those things. But was it the Lord doing it? Or will we come to the point where we say, did we not? And he said, I never was a part of that. I never did that. As a young child, about 13 years of age, 
I was in the back seat of our car coming home from a Wednesday night prayer meeting. I'm a traditionalist, you know. I'm old. My mom and my aunt were in the front seat of the car, and mom was driving. And I don't remember which one said it, but I was raised in southern Ohio in a very emotional environment. Shouting in church was the norm. And I remember sitting in the back seat of the car, and as we were driving home from church, one said to the other, the Holy Spirit wasn't there tonight. There wasn't any shouting. And the other agreed. And as I said, I don't know which one made the comment, but both my aunt and my mom were in agreement with that sense. And I remember in my young 13-year-old mind, the very quickness of the Spirit saying, I thought the Holy Spirit was everywhere we are. And that came to help me as I grew up because we have a tendency to try to put the Holy Spirit in a box. We don't recognize what God's doing because we're looking for that behavior in a certain way. And I think we can fall victim to what's going on. Sounds like we're driving out demons and prophesying and doing miracles. Somehow, if we have the spectacular, we've heard from God. But God revealed himself in a different way to Elijah because verse 12 continues, <clears throat> and after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. How do we practice listening for the gentle spirit? First of all, the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Be still, and in that stillness you will discover what I'm doing. We are probably living in our culture, in the Western world, the fastest, most complicated lifestyles that has ever taken place in our world. We are so busy doing and even when we are doing good things and thinking we're doing the right things, we've not been still to listen. Lord, is this what you're doing? We're so busy asking God to bless what we're doing rather than to try to figure out what God's blessing and then do that. I mean, our whole world is caught up in that. Church world, philanthropists, all of us. We're caught up in trying to meet the needs of people, and that is good. But have we stopped long enough to listen, to hear what God is saying? There's another passage in Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That means it doesn't come quickly. Sometimes God holds off speaking to find out how committed we are to stopping long enough to listen. That's not because God doesn't love us. Sometimes it's that great pause that he wants us to experience so we can settle down long enough. There's a passage in the 23rd Psalm which has always intrigued me where it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures to restore my soul. You realize that sometimes our afflictions is him trying to get us to slow down 
long enough to listen to what he's saying and allow him to restore our souls. So when we take the time to listen to Jesus, really listen so that we want it to transform our lives, what do we hear him saying to us? That takes me further into Mark chapter 9. For as we come down to this passage that comes out in verses 14 to 29, there's a very powerful statement from Jesus. This passage or section talks about the healing of a boy with an evil spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus... It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. That's what Satan wants to do. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I also like that testimony this morning. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible. For him who believes. Now right here you need a parenthesis that says, listen to him. <laughs> Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do to believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? And here's the heavy words. Jesus said, this kind can come out only by prayer. And some translations have, and fasting. This kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. Are we hearing those three words? Listen to him. Don't hear the words. Listen. Let it make a difference. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and therefore to us, you cannot do effective ministry. This is Jesus talking, paraphrased by me. You cannot do effective ministry without prayer and fasting. It's impossible. You can't do it. Daniel Henderson, in his book, Transforming Prayer, makes this statement. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence. I don't need God. I can handle this. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, 
you can do some things. No. <laughs> Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now you have appreciation for what the Apostle Paul said when he said pray without ceasing. Depend on God for everything. You mean even trying to find a parking space when I go to a busy town area? That's okay. As long as you give him credit for finding it. Don't say, boy, I'm sure lucky on that one. <laughs> it's amazing when I have people say something to me when they know I'm going to be doing something. Well, good luck. I don't believe in luck. I believe in divine providence, divine intervention. I believe in God's will. And it might be that God doesn't want me to find a parking space there. I'm not trying to get political. But there was a statement on Facebook by a preacher the other day that said this. Has it ever occurred to the Christian that uh, maybe God wants Obama reelected? Wow. And I'm not making a statement one way or the other. I'm just simply saying, are we listening to God? Or are we evaluating our culture, our social standing, what we want? We are the strongest nation in the world. Are we more determined in keeping that than we are saying, God, what are you doing and how can you best build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? The quality as well as the quantity of our prayer life reveals just how dependent we are on God. And the prayer that Jesus is describing here is much more than a monologue. How much of our prayer time is spent in monologue? Us doing all the talking. Or is our prayer life a dialogue? Where we're listening. Be still and know. When's the last time you came to prayer and spent more time listening to God than you did talking to God? In these two chapters of Mark, and this was all we were to look at, what's Jesus saying to us? First of all, we've pointed out in verse 23 of chapter 9, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything for him who believes. Or as another statement that God made to Mary after being told that she was going to give birth to the Christ child. Nothing is impossible with God. But it's got to be God's will. It's got to be what God's doing, not what we want. Verse 29 of chapter 9, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. Verse 30, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Verse 37, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Are we listening? Verse 41, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Verse 42, and if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe 
in me to sin. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. That's God's mafia schedule. Tie a cement block to him and drop him in the water. That's, that's pretty heavy. Verse 50, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Moving into chapter 10, verse 6, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Verse 27, we've talked about it again. All things are possible with God. Verse 29, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions. Lord, I don't like to suffer. Get me out of this. Maybe God is saying, you're there for a purpose. And in the age to come, eternal life. Verse 43, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in verse 52, your faith has healed you. Wow. Listen to him. That's just those two chapters. Every one of those verses could be a sermon, and I refuse to be tempted. Listen to him. In closing, I'd like to share a prayer with you by Thomas Merton. I've put it up there for you to read along with me and maybe make it your prayer. Oh, Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire to please you. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to make my journey alone. Father, Thank you for burning my heart with what concerns you and for giving me this opportunity to share it. But Lord, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to make the application. This is not my message. This is your word. 
And so I'm trusting you to apply it wherever it needs to be applied at whatever step of the journey that each of us are on with you. Having complete confidence in this, that that which you have, dis- that you have started from the beginning, you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I lift to you this congregation, its leadership, its pastoral team. I lift to you, Father, this community as they seek to be a light and salt in this community. And I thank you for your faithfulness to them. And I thank you for the assurance that you will always be faithful to us. We seek to obey you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.